0: Lord, amidst all the distractions that go on in the world around us, amidst all the distractions that, that even arise up in the church among us, we ask that you keep our hearts, you keep our eyes focused on you, on the cross of Jesus. Just as we sang a few moments ago, let there be nothing between our souls and you, your love, your power, your grace. And in this moment, Lord, we ask that you clear away all the distractions that may compete for our attention, all the things that may pull and tug on our heart, and allow us in this time ahead to come face to face with you, to hear your truth, to know your truth. Bless the reading of the word as we hear it, as we understand it, and let it move our hearts today. Bless this time we have in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 and verses 15 through 23. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're moving right along in our uh, series through the book of Romans. Uh, you may have noticed that we're now on chapter 6, and last week we were on chapter 3. So it looks like we skipped a couple chapters, but don't worry about that. We're going to touch on those because Paul used those, those chapters to sort of build up to what he is saying uh, in this passage, um, which is what we're going to talk about today, but we're, we're going to look back at those others as well. Uh, but before we, we go on with this, let, let's talk about where we've been and where we are in this study. We, we started off by saying Paul lays the groundwork. He says that basically we've all started off on common ground. We've all started off over here in darkness and we're separated by this huge gulf. And then over here is God with all his holiness and all his righteousness. And then we found out that we are all sinners. And then we found out that there is nothing we can do to get from over here to over there where God is. We can do righteous works all we want until we're blue in the face and they won't move us one inch closer to God. We are only moved over there to where he is through his grace, through Jesus Christ, who was the embodiment of his grace. And and once we receive that grace through faith, then we can begin the process of of what we call sanctification, uh, moving on towards perfection, over there where God is, over there where holiness is. But we are all sinners. We are all imperfect. And there's nothing we can do to change that. It's only God's grace that will allow us to be in good standing with him. And so that's where we pick up, up today. And Paul says, now having said all of that, having understood all of that, does that mean that since we can't do anything... There's no works of righteousness we can do to to get over there where God is that we shouldn't do anything good. We should just rely on grace and grace alone and sit back and just let grace unfold and we will become holy because he, he continues to forgive us. Should we just continue to sin and live the way we've always lived, knowing that he's going to forgive us and love us anyway? And then Paul says, of course not, by no means. That's ridiculous. Because if you're saved by grace, if you have that faith, that faith will start to take over your life. It will start to take root in your heart. It will start to shape the way you live your life, and you will become a person of faithful action. Now, uh, I was talking with Roger earlier this week, and uh, he was was telling me that Martin Luther uh, loved the book of Romans so much that he thought every Christian should memorize it. Now, that... That sounds crazy to us, but you've got to remember in Martin Luther's day, they didn't have all the distractions we have now. They didn't have television and all this stuff. And, and so to memorize long passages of Scripture, if you were a very dedicated Christian, that, that, was, that was sort of what you did. And so Martin Luther, he loved the book of Romans and he loved the gospel of grace so much that he thought everybody should memorize the book of Romans. But here's the rub. Martin Luther hated the book of James and thought that it should be axed out of the Bible. He called it an epistle of straw. Well, why did he think that? It's because the book of James talks a lot about works. It talks a lot about doing things to, to sort of prove your salvation. And it talks about, um, you know, pure and undefiled religion is to, to visit the orphan and the widow in their time of need. James talks a lot about keeping the law about doing good things. And Martin Luther saw saw this as a contradiction to what Paul taught, which was that you can't do anything to earn salvation. It's all through grace. In reality, uh, James and Paul weren't in contrast. They were two sides of the same coin. James was saying that once you come to know Christ through grace, through faith, that it should lead to a life of good works. And Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying you can only come, you can't come through good works. You can only come through grace, through faith. But then once you have, you don't go on with your old old life. Like you're still standing on this side of the gulf. Your faith should take root. Your faith should be put into action. And so you see that James and Paul really weren't in disagreement all that much. Some people still believe they are. Some people still teach it. And it's just simply not true. James and Paul were were teaching two sides of the same coin. Our faith comes through grace first. And then that grace should lead us into action. But it has to be in that order. Action does not come before grace. And so when we back up and we look at the two chapters in Romans uh, before this, we see Paul talked about Abraham. And how Abraham's faith was counted to him uh, as righteousness. And Why? Because Abraham believed in God, he had faith in God, he had that faith because of the grace God had given him, but then he put that faith into action. And when God saw his action, when God saw that Abraham was obedient because of his faith, God knew that his faith was genuine. God said, this is not just show, this is not just lip service, Abraham says he believes in me. Abraham says he has faith. He's received the grace, my my grace that I give to him, my love that I give to him. But now I know it because he is acting it out in his life. And we see this again as as the uh, the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. Grace came before the law. God delivered the slaves of Israel. He, He freed them from slavery to Egypt. He, uh, he, gave, he gave them the instructions to put the, lamb, the blood of the lamb over their doorposts so that death would pass over them. He led them out uh, across the, the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. And it's after all of that, after they were freed from their slavery and he delivered them uh, with the blood of the lamb over the door, and, and after he led them across the Red Sea, then he gave them the law. Then he gave them the Ten Commandments. Grace came first, and then they entered the covenant. Of obedience to God because of that grace. So we have to get the order right. Grace comes first, faith comes first, and then we show obedience to God through our actions. We cannot receive grace through action, but our action should definitely come after we have received grace. And that brings us to a question well, what is law? All this talk about law and Paul talking about should we abandon the law? No, we shouldn't abandon the law. Are we talking about the Jewish law? Are we talking about the, the laws that's written in Deuteronomy or Leviticus? Are we talking about the Ten Commandments? What are we talking about? Well, first of all, we know that Paul is talking to both Romans and Greeks. So they don't all know the Jewish law. And we know that in Romans and in other uh, books that Paul has written, he's said that Greeks do not need to take on the burden of trying to follow the Jewish law. That's not what being a Christian is. So we know that when Paul is talking here about obedience to God and living lives of righteousness and sanctification, he's not necessarily talking about the Mosaic law, the Old Testament Jewish law. What he's talking about is that law we talked about last week, that law that is written on our hearts, that law that that the conscience guides us, and and when when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that guides us, that teaches us and instructs us, tells us what to do, what we shouldn't do. And when we, we have that in our hearts, when we have that Holy Spirit helping us, teaching us and guiding us, That's how we live righteously. That's the law we go by, God's voice. What is God telling you? So that's what, when we talk about obeying God and obeying the law, that's what we're talking about, obeying the commands of the Holy Spirit as it speaks to us today. Now, there's two different types of law. There's uh, the kind of law that says, don't do something. And then there's the kind of law that says, do something. Now, the first one, don't do something, that's what we tend to think of usually. We think, well, don't, don't speed, don't kill people, don't steal things. Those are laws, and we think of them that way. The Ten Commandments has several of those. But the Ten Commandments also has some that, some that, uh, that are, are take action. Honor your, your father and mother. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And Jesus, even as he he spoke to the lawyer and he said the two greatest commandments, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are all actions. Those are things that we do. So keeping the law, obeying the Holy Spirit, isn't just saying, I'm not going to do this or this or this. It means you're also going to do these things because that's what God wants you to do. You're also going to commit works of righteousness, acts of holiness. Because to not do it would be inaction, and that is a violation of the Holy Spirit's law. Uh, At our jurisdictional uh, conference this past week, somebody got up and they gave uh, a, a little meditation on the United Methodist logo, the cross and the flame. And I'd never really thought about this before, but I thought it was kind of neat. He said, if you think about the cross and the flame, what it represents the cross, of course, we know what it represents. Jesus, his uh, saving work on the cross, the grace that he extends to us, the freedom that he gives us from our sins, his atoning work of salvation. That's the cross. But our, our, our logo for the denomination is not just simply a cross. We also have the flame. And what does the flame represent? The Holy Spirit. It represents the burning and and the the desire that we have that God puts in us to go and put our faith into action. On Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church, we talk about the Holy Spirit being poured out among us and we hang a a banner up over here that says, Fan the flame. And that's what the the flame represents. The Holy Spirit burning in us. And so this man stood up and he gave the devotion on the cross and the flame and he asked the question, how is the flame burning in your church? Is it burning brightly, wildly? Is it a roaring, blazing fire that you just can't contain? Or is it a waning fire? Is it a little glowing ember? Is there a fire at all? Remember, Jesus said it was the lukewarm church that he wanted to spit out of his mouth. The Holy Spirit should always be present in our church and always leading us into action. And not just because we feel that we need to and that this is some kind of duty we must do, but because we want to, because he's saved us. He's given us that desire. He, is, he has written that law of the Holy Spirit onto our hearts, and we can't help but do it to carry it out. Now, it's easy, I know, once you've received justification by grace, once you've come to know Jesus, to sit back and say, I'm forgiven, praise be to God, and then just, just sit there. And worship. And Paul knew that it was easy. That's why he's writing this. That's why he's saying be careful not to think that. It's very tempting to say, well, grace forgave me. All I've done. And God will continue to forgive me. So I can just continue. I can just coast through life now. And Paul says, you better not do that. Because the faith that you now have through grace should lead you into action. Because if it doesn't, then maybe your faith isn't authentic. Sitting and waiting is a good thing. There's a season for waiting on the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do. But some of us make a habit of just sitting our our whole lives out, sitting our faith out. And that's sad. That's why the church faces the struggles that it does today. Sitting is never a good thing. Just look at the physical uh, side effects from sitting too much. They say that if you sit too much, a person who sits six hours or more a day on a daily base, basis is 65% more likely to have heart failure and 70% more likely to, to get some form of cancer. Now, if, if that is true for the physical side of things, that sitting that much, that much inaction, that much uh, lack of physical activity can can destroy your body, how much more so is it when we consider our spirit, when we consider spiritual inactivity, where we just sit and we may come in here and we may worship, we may pray, we may sing, and all of that's great, but we don't do anything else. What is that doing to us spiritually? How are we growing spiritually when we do that? Uh, some of y'all, uh, have, uh, probably all of y'all have noticed, Hannah Claire has been coming to church lately, uh, to, to big church, and then going with the kids to little church. And uh, one of the things that she asked me about right away, I, I say it so often, I don't even think about it anymore, uh, but first or second week she was here, she asked me, why is it before we sing the song do I say, please stand if you are able? And it's one of the things that a kid's certainly going to, Pick up them, and I explained to her. I said, "Well, there's some people in our church who aren't always able to stand. They may be injured. They uh, may have. Uh, they may be sick, uh, or, or maybe they're just at a point in their lives where they're they're frail and they can't stand up for long periods of time." So I say that, please stand if you are able. Well, that night when I tucked her in, she said a prayer. She said, uh, "Please help the people who can't stand up be able to stand up." And, and I thought, well, you know, that's cute. That was kind of my reaction at first. I kind of smiled. I got to thinking about it later, and I thought, how inspirational is that? That she doesn't just take at face value that someone can't do it. Instead, she's going to pray that they get to the point again where they can. And, when we, and, and I'm not picking on anybody who has to sit down while we sing. I, I know that there are physical limitations to that. But, but spiritually speaking... How often do we sit down because we say we can't do something? We have limitations. We're tired. We're too old for that. We're, too, what, we're not gifted for that. We can't speak well. We can't do whatever. And, and we have these sort of limitations we play on ourselves. And we just, we just accept that instead of praying that God gives us the strength to stand again. Because he can give us the strength to stand again. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It moves us towards perfection. It moves us towards holiness. It inspires us, it it teaches us, and it encourages us. And we become a people of action. Now, these actions, like I said, they have to come after grace. They can't precede grace. You don't earn grace through actions. The action should flow out of that that grace that God has poured out on you. It's very much like, uh, like, like having any other job. If you decided that you wanted to work for a company, you wouldn't just show up and start working and hope that they give you a paycheck because you've been doing it. Now, before I came out here and started preaching, I mean, if if I had never been licensed to preach, if Buddy Cooper had not appointed me to come out here, if the pastor parish committee had not agreed to it, if I had just showed up here on a Sunday morning and started preaching and just hoped that y'all would pay me for it, that wouldn't have worked out. (laughs) You can't do things just to earn your way in. But once you've been hired... Once an, employee says, yeah, or an employer says, yes, you are now in my employee. You are now my employee. He has essentially extended that grace to you. And you have become one of their employees. Then you do the work. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we've all been employed by God. He talks about slavery. He says you were slaves to sin, now you're slaves to God. I, I think that that... Um, in our, our culture, and our context, that sort of gets lost on us a little bit. Basically, what he was saying was, you've been employed by sin. And now you're employed by God. It's going to be one or the other. You're going to be employed by yourself and by your, your own sins, your own fleshly desires. And where did that get you? But now you're employed by God. So if you're employed by God through His grace, because He gave you that job graciously, then go work for Him. Go do things in His name. If we've received grace, it's because he's trying to move us towards holiness. He's trying to move us to this side of the gulf where he is. And he does that through the power and the movement and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How bright is your flame burning? What action is he trying to lead you into taking? Don't resign yourself to your limitations. Don't be a sitter. Ask for him to pick you up and put you into action. Your witness depends on it, the future of the church depends on it, and your own sanctification depends on it. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love which saves us, which redeems us, which picks us up. We confess before you all the times that we have tried to do things to earn that grace and that love, and we recognize that that that's just not possible. You love us simply because you love us, because you are good and you are merciful. But Lord, we ask that you allow that love and that grace to come in and to to penetrate our hearts and to move us and to inspire us and to move us into action. Ignite that, that, that flame in our hearts today, Lord. Inspire us. Put us to work for your kingdom. Put our faith into action so that we can be a witness for all you have done. We can be a witness for your grace and your mercy at work in the world. And so that we can move on towards perfection and holiness where you are so that we may become more Christ-like. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 467, Trust and Obey. We're going to sing the first, second, and last verse. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to come forward as we sing. Uh, if, if, If not, please stand if you are able. And join us in singing hymn number 467.